Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Yes, we are back to some regularly scheduled programming. No, not me by myself, but this time we have some excellent helping hands to discuss all the action from Match Day 31. This match day had everything. Top of the table clashes, teams fighting for survival, and so much more. First, we welcome back co-host Eva Lotterbola, who is back from illness. Eva, how are you feeling? Um, with football, without football. <laughs> we don't talk with about football. football. We, we we don't talk about football. It would be a great, great Disney movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, with football, not so good. Let's just say this. Uh, without football, more or less good. Uh, the coughing is still there. I mean, it's probably not the best therapy um, to, to, to go to a stadium for 90 minutes screaming and uh, standing a lot of, uh, in the middle of a lot of pyrotechnics, uh, probably not the best cure, but I mean, everything for the Klassenerhalt, uh, which won't come anyway. But um, yeah, first of all, really, really happy to be back. Um, it's not the same without this and um, without the joy of the Zweite Bundesliga. And I mean, um, the good thing about this, uh, we don't have a champion yet. Uh, we're not the Bundesliga. There's no FC Bayern. We don't have the same um, champions two years in a row, which is also a very good thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's just great. I'm uh, I'm happy to to talk about this, and obviously, I'm very happy that we're not alone doing this. But we have a very special guest today. Yes, and uh, we are thrilled to have this particular individual joining the Spider Bundesliga podcast for the very first time. His resume does speak for itself, but I'll speak it to you anyway. Working with UEFA, host of Project Fußball, works with DW, world feed commentator for the Bundesliga and the Spider Bundesliga. It is the one and only James Thorogood. James, firstly, welcome to the podcast. Oh, pleasure to be on, guys. Sorry, sorry it didn't happen sooner. Sorry I couldn't be there last week to step in because I know how hard it is to do a podcast on your own, Matt. So, uh, yeah, sorry I couldn't do it a week earlier, but glad I'm here now. Oh, we are thrilled to have you. Now, sometimes you just, through adversity, you've got to come out the other side and we are at this other side and we have arguably uh, the best lineup yet for an episode of this season. So we should start with the top spieler, one versus two, Schalke versus Werder Bremen, a full house at the Veltons Arena. Bremen bringing upwards of 8,000 fans. Dennis Eitekin, arguably the best referee in German football, gets given this game. We are expecting a massive affair. Two sides that could easily gap themselves to the, the next few and put themselves in a strong position for promotion. One team definitely did that, and it was Werder Bremen, who were just strong throughout this game. Be it, Fortunate at times, if you look at the three three of the four goals they scored. Ilya Gruer's first goal came after a Martin Freisel mistake. Not entirely sure where he's trying to parry the ball, but he parries it straight to Ilya Gruev. And he definitely wouldn't have been the first person you would have selected as 
opening goal scorer. I also love the fact the many jokes that uh, a particular Ilya Gruev who'd left Armenia Bielefeld, apparently scored the first goal for Werder Bremen. I'm getting death stares. What a shock. Um, <laughs> spoke of Voldemort's name, stepdad. I mean, I, did, I didn't mention Al- uh, Alexander Ignovsky just yet, but uh, Bremen fans will remember him as well. Um, but then Bremen also got a second. Nicholas Fulkrug heading home. Uh, his 16th goal of the campaign. Uh, Bremen very dominant in the first half, and they took a two-goal cushion. Schalke needed to respond, and they responded by conceding two quick goals. Bit unlucky, both goals were deflected, but both goals were from Marvin Duksch. See my uh, DP for Twitter as to why that is. He's got 19 goals this season, and he has proven every bit worth of his 3.5 million euros. Uh, Simon Toronto stole a goal at the end from Darko Chulinov. Uh He's got 25. He looks like he's going to be the top goal scorer for the season. Uh, but whether they play in the playoffs against a particular team or they make automatic promotion, we shall wait and see. We should, of course, speak to the guy who was commentating this game for the Swider Bundesliga Worldfield. James, what was your impression of this this massive encounter? It was a big game for both clubs. Uh, and it's fair to say that Oli Werner coached a masterclass to, to get the win over a Schalke side that had won five consecutive. Yeah, I, it was one of those games that speaks to the beauty of this league and this season in the fact that the the narratives and the form books can get thrown out the window at the drop of a hat. I mean, we came into it with Bushkins, yes, the first head coach in Schalke history to win his first five games in charge, if you're counting, of course, that first game that he technically wasn't on the sidelines due to COVID. Then you have Bremen, who have been not converting their chances in first halves. I won't go as far as saying they've started poorly in games, but they haven't been converting their chances. And there have been some glaring statistics that pointed to all of that. 14 goals in the first half of games before this weekend and 41 in the second half. And then they came out and they really had the bit between their teeth from the start, which I wasn't expecting in front of a capacity crowd at the Veltins Arena. Um, And it impressed me the way they went about it. And they converted their chances. Yes, a little bit of fortune about it as well. But I looked at this game really as a test of these two sides Bundesliga credentials, because I think we're at that stage of the season now where we have to. And yes, we don't have anything decided yet. Um, But when you were looking at it, Bremen had a clear identity. And I guess that's to be expected, considering that they've been working with Ole Werner a little bit longer uh, than Mike Bushkins has been the head coach, at least at Schalke. Um, But while Werder Bremen's game does revolve around Fulkrug and Dutch, they have an extra element that's not as one-dimensional and I think you look at those two they're probably capable of scoring in the Bundesliga and then the defensive side which has been really leaky at times um, and and suspect for a side as, as high up the the league and yet they concede the fewest shots on goal it's something that's never made sense with Werder Bremen this season so reinforcements may be needed there but this was an incredible performance where they kept Seaman Toroda quiet yes he had a couple of chances that if he scores them in the first half maybe the complexion of the game changes a little bit. But in the circumstances with the absentees that they had at the back, Werder Bremen, I thought it was a, a very complete performance from them and really did speak to their credentials of not just coming up to the Bundesliga, but maybe actually also being able to survive in there again. 100%. I mean, you, we've seen that at their best defensively, they would they prefer to have the likes of Irma Toprak, uh, Milos Velkovic, they were both out. Christian Gross, who has been a very good player for them in central in defensive midfield, as well as sometimes plugging as as a uh, a central centre back, he was out as well. And the just the movable parts that Oli Werner was able to kind of articulate, they still were able to play the kind of football that he wants this Werder Bremen side to, to play. 
you know, they they immediately took the game to Schalke and it, and it became apparent very early on that um, the Royal Blues just lacked, for me anyway, they lacked a bit of energy, a bit of intensity. Um, and I, it's it's interesting because it was the, the, the team that Bushkin selected was the exact 11 I would have gone with based on availability. Um, but they got really nothing out of the likes of Vinheim and, and Chononoglu. I thought the uh, you know Agu and, and uh, Mitchell Weiser really irritated the pair of them throughout this game. And yeah, I was just really disappointed. Eva, I'll get you to chime in on this one as well. You know, we were a bit worried with the run-in for Schalke, being that they had Darmstadt, Bremen, they've got Zanhausen this week who... Uh, we'll talk about later on, but they are the third best team in the uh, the Svater Bundesliga at the moment, uh, f- judging from the new year. Um, then St. Pauli and Nürnberg. It doesn't get any easier for the Royal Blues, and this is why this game in particular could have given them the points buffer they would have needed for the final few games. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, we spoke about the importance for both sides uh, for this match. And I think if you would have asked 10 people, um, nine would have said, OK, this this is going to be a Schalke win or uh, like game Schalke would win. Um, not only because form wise, this is what uh, James have, has been saying as well. Uh, you would guess that Schalke was a bit better or they like they without putting 100 percent on the pitch. They will keep winning the games. This is what we have been saying is Vera isn't doing. And then obviously um, Vera had a lot of injuries, um, important players that couldn't play for this game. And you were like, okay, the setup is is very one-dimensional for this one. Um, well, I think this is, uh, this is actually really, really good for Vera because they accept or in spite of everything that was going on before that game, they really stepped up here. And um, I think it was even important that someone like Gruev scored uh, because it's, it was not the usual setup. And obviously, once again, they they hit the... It, this was the game they hit the post for the 17th and 18th time this season. Um, Ducks twice in this game. Uh, and I think this is something we have seen the past couple of weeks. This is where... Veravins were saying after the game, we had so many chances, but we failed to convert them. And because Gruyff was the first one really stepping up the year and was actually um, time to time really a copycat of what they were doing, but because it worked and because that like one visor cross or one visor ball in in depth, like to the depth of the field, it put everything on the table for Vera and they did that very, very well. Shaka didn't really have a an answer to that and obviously um also if you have one player that just really has a bad day like itakura and he has such mm. an important role and is normally one of the the best players shaka has in the back um it, it doesn't get easier um i mean if you if you look at the next couple of games what they can be maybe a bit happy about in be, and they can thank Sandhausen for that. Is that probably Nuremberg is out of that mix for promotion now? Uh, we will speak about the game uh, in a minute, but it's why the pressure isn't on both sides or for, for both teams at the end of the season. But um, I mean, for Werder, this was probably um, the most difficult game 
in those last four games and they managed to win it like that, it doesn't mean they're going to win easily against Kiel, but just they created a very good momentum from the, for themselves. And um, I think they can really take that flow with them um, because now they're playing at least two two teams that do not really play for a lot now or for nothing, uh, just for, I know, the fans. Um, and then you have our, obviously, they are as good as relegated. So this is probably going to be one of those games where our really wants to, to like take the fans into this next season and say we're going to get go back. But I mean, in, in general, um, I think for for Vera, um, this was uh, really important, and for Schalke, maybe it was the the wake up call they needed, uh, because um, it showed them it, especially in games like this, it isn't enough just to put on like 80%. Uh, you really have to be there, and um, this is what they need to change for the last three games. Yeah, I mean, it would have been great. And what a fairy tale it would have been for the Royal Blues to just win nine consecutive games on the bounce and uh, cakewalk <laughs> to promotion. But uh, as we know, this league doesn't really allow for that. And um, yeah, Bremen were fantastic. You do mention either the last few games, two of those are at home. They're a very strong um, home side. They've only lost twice at the Stadion this season, um, which is fifth best uh, in terms of their home form. So all things looking up, and their schedule compared to those around them is not that there are any games in the Spider Bundesliga uh, more manageable, let's just say, comparative to those around them. Speaking of the two of a couple of teams that are around Bremen and Schalke, St. Pauli and Darmstadt. The late Saturday night kickoff. This was fourth versus third. A massive encounter for both sides at the Milan Tour. Uh, many would expect that St. Pauli, who have been a bit of a rough patch, would get back to winning ways. But it wasn't to be. Even with Torben Lieberknecht not being on the sideline because of a yellow card suspension, it was Darmstadt who took the lead first doors. A pretty ordinary defensive mistake led to Luca Pfeiffer eventually caking the ball into the back of the net. Fabian Holland, who is only known for scoring great goals, scored a pretty good one here on 35 minutes to get his third of the campaign. Thought St. Pauli were a little bit better in the second half, and they did get a goal on 81 minutes through Lucas Dashner, but it wasn't enough. St. Pauli's miserable April continues. They are winless in this month uh, with only the two draws and two defeats. That is equal worst with Dynamo Dresden, who we'll talk about later in the program. For Darmstadt, they reclaimed third place. And they have the advantage of a playoff and maybe even automatic promotion. Their schedule is rather winnable for them. Eva, let's talk about St. Pauli. We've been concerned, as have their supporters, of their recent uh, downturn in form. Uh, it's become another issue here. We, we mentioned the reliance of Daniel Kofi-Kire as someone that they heavily rely on this season. But uh, the story is telling that... Um, they have they have hit the wrong form at the wrong time. Yeah, and I mean, in this game, it's even if if you look <clears> at that first goal where Tiaz, as a very experienced player, just stops running because he thinks it's offside. I mean, he could have actually done something not conceding this goal, and even if they concede, then if it's offside, the VAR will hopefully take it away. Uh, but just stop running, keep complaining, going full on Manuel Neuer in that, in that situation. 
it, it doesn't help your team. Um, it doesn't look good on the pitch. It doesn't look good for your fans. Uh, even looks worse if you if you look at it after uh, after the game has finished. Um, and well, what they're really missing is this dominance. I know that like at the at the start of the season or the majority of the of the Hinrunde, uh, they had this really unique style of playing. Um, teams had a lot of problems figuring out what they want to do, uh, whatever they were doing on on the wings and as well with um, like the the strikers going back in into midfield and all that. But at some stage, um, teams were figuring figuring out what they want to do, and that at the same time with a lot of players not being in the best state anymore, like Burgstaller, for example. Obviously, Kiri was out at the beginning of the year due to the Africa Cup. But all that, it it has been going on, and St. Pauli never really found a way to break through, free out of that. And you could really see this in this game, because Darmstadt, in my opinion, after a while, Darmstadt just played that, that this is their home game now. Just from how they were performing, like not fan-wise or anything like that, but just the way they were acting on the pitch. Um, and just what I really, for example, thought was very showing for that game was in the first half, I think, that um, Bada clearance versus Aminido. Like you really, if you say put everything in and Bada went full on, like that, that clearance was a a perfect one, perfectly timed, uh, and it would have been a goal otherwise, but like complete fair clearance. And uh, I was really impressed with that because this is what you need for promotion. You need moments like this. If you compare that to CIS, on the other hand, who rather started to complain except going full in in that situation. And then you have Bada who's like, I don't care, this is not going to be a goal. Um, yeah, it's a difference. About that Holland goal, as you said, this is what what Holland does. You can't really do anything about that. Uh, I think, in my opinion, the the one of the most important players for St. Pauli was actually Vasil in this game because in the second half he really capped them in the game, um, had a really good save. And well, the the substitutions with Dashna then um, he made a good impact, but it wasn't enough because he didn't really have the feeling that the rest of the team. Um, was yeah going with that, and um, in the end, it's uh, in my opinion, deserved defeat because um, although Zang Pauli had more chances, uh, they were really missing uh, efficiency in this game, um, accuracy as well, and just maybe the last will to actually win this game. Yeah, it, it is quite fascinating, and. It... <clears throat> If you just compare the two calendar years from the start of the campaign to, to now, you can see that there are frailties within the system at St. Pauli and they've had some particularly weird results that are very hard to explain to just a normal observer. And this was a game you'd expect them to at least get something out of. And they just couldn't get it together. I wouldn't want to understate also the inclusion of Marcel Schuen for Darmstadt how much of an influential leader he is within that team. Um, James, I'll bring you in for this one because you've seen a, a bit of both of these sides this season um, with with the world feed. It's such an impressive win for Darmstadt because we know how hard it is to win at the Millen Tour. Um, 
How much does this, you reckon, give them a psychological boost knowing that their next three games heading into the, the, the crescendo of the campaign are all very winnable for them? Yeah, I, I think it's huge, the point, and it actually feeds into the question that you've asked me. The point I was going to make here is that Darmstadt are the side that are flying under the radar in this promotion race because all the pressure's on Schalke, Bremen. Everyone wants St. Pauli to be back in the Bundesliga because it'd be this romantic story. And then, of course, Hamburg, the pressure's always on Hamburg to try and get back into the, the top flight. Whereas Darmstadt are just flying under the radar, very, very little pressure on them. Torsten Lieberknecht knows what it takes to get a team over the line, having done it with Eintracht Braunschweig. And I do think that this win will certainly bolster their confidence and give them uh, a real push for the running. Because unlike Pauli, I mean, it's interesting with Pauli. I've had an interesting journey with them. I commentated their game at the Milan Tour, their incredible DFB Pokal win over Dortmund. And I went, you know what, in an isolated bubble, that performance suggests that they could be a side that, uh, you know, are potentially ready for the Bundesliga, but you then have watched them. I've watched them since in, you know, in the title Bundesliga and the performances haven't quite told the same story. And there have been parts to that. Schultz, the head coaches kept talking about the pressure being on the other teams, but it was Dashner actually who came out after this game and said it might have something to do with the league table, saying that they, the, the players can't ignore it. And the quote that really stood out to me is that he thinks that some people are thinking that we have something to lose and some may already think we've lost something simply because they were you know seven points ahead at the halfway stage of the season and i think that's playing against them whereas darmstadt the pressure's off them they get to just fly under the radar and all this um and and kind of stick to their their plan at the lieberknecht and it might actually be what gets them through at this uh late stage of the season because they are a side that when they're not getting thrashed by schalke do look quite solid yeah, I think I think it's also an interesting point with Darmstadt in a general sense because they have, for a good portion of the season, flown under the radar. Even when they had their moments where they were um, in in the top two heading into Christmas, um, they very much put themselves in in the mix. And it is quite it is quite interesting how with the few games remaining, they've obviously picked up results. I think the game against Schalke wasn't a true reflection of where they were at. Um, and, and it was pretty clear. I mean, some of the goals they gave up and that were very un-Darmstadt-like uh, for the majority of the campaign. But just that that ability to fly under the radar, we know they've got a good combination of strikers with, with Luca Pfeiffer and, and, and Philip Tietz who haven't really hit the ground running at all in 2022. But they've popped up with the odd goal here or there. So yeah, that, I think for them, you know, I was on a, uh, was talking about it with a few different people that, you know, you should look out for Darmstadt because of the fact that they all the hard stuff's done for them. They've they've faced all their promotion candidate challenges. Now they've got teams who have either got nothing to play for except pride, uh, it, and then of course you've got the game this week, this weekend, where they've got an hour side who are trying to avoid relegation. They can relegate out of this weekend if they win. So it is quite fascinating to see where they're at at the moment. But um, yeah, I think they're a, they're a really good shout. If anyone has them in their in their bracket to, to be in that top two, you would be uh, it'd be hard not to put them in the mix. Now let's move on to our final Group One game, the Max Morlock Stadion. It's Nuremberg against Sandhausen. Over forty thousand packed the stadion, expecting that maybe this Nuremberg team would be the one that would continue its rise into promotion candidacy. But it was an absolute nightmare for them. 
The consistency with this game was their inability to, to defend set pieces, um, as was told by the first goal scored by Yannick Bachmann uh, on four minutes as his fifth goal of the campaign. And the interesting thing about this game is that Nuremberg had a 2-1 advantage. Uh, Tom Krauss and Asgar Sorensen were both on the score sheet. Um, and you would think at that stage, 2-1 up with comfort, that they would in fact take the game on and continue and really control it. But they didn't. Because set-piece defending was the reason why they lost this game. Uh, two set-piece goals from Tommy Treble and Pascal Testerot getting his 10th goal of the campaign. Uh, it is interesting that Shima Okorokji assisted three of those goals. Yannick Backman had an assist on that one. So, what does this mean? Well, Sanhausen looks like Ali Schwarz has done it. You crazy man, you have done it. If you see the show notes, uh, <laughs> which you may get to see uh, later on, uh, it's a Jurassic Park reference uh, as to why and how they've done it. 38 points uh, with three games to go. They are eight points clear of Dinamo. Essentially, a point will be enough to get them uh, over the line, but I would suggest that they are more than safe for another season. For Nuremberg, though, it is rather difficult. They are now three points behind Darmstadt in third, in with uh, third place with three games to go, and two of their remaining three fixtures are against sides in the top four. James, to you first. This was the this was supposed to be a big coronation for for Robert Klaus. There's been a lot of talk about him being a young manager under the Nagelsmann system, someone who is an up and comer, wants to get promoted with Nuremberg, but uh, it has to be said, what a defensive calamity, especially at dead ball situations. Yeah, and and it, Klaus said it after the game. You know, he's never experienced anything like that, and I think it's just one of those things that sometimes can't be explained but i it's it was a it was such a shame for nuremberg because you were right it was all set up for them to maybe keep themselves in this promotion mix and this kind of the outside looking in role but ready to pounce if anyone makes any mistakes and the door was potentially going to be open not just by their own fixtures but other sides above them still having to play each other as well and then and then this happens and it's a wonderful narrative for sandhausen um, i think you're right to to use the jurassic park meme um in in that case because what they've done in the second half of the season has been nothing short of remarkable. Um, and it really was kind of emphasized by this win over Nuremberg in the situation that Nuremberg were in, um, looking to to keep themselves in that mix. And I agree with you. I think it's, it's hard to see them getting back up there now um, with just three games left to go. And as much as the door may be opened, it's, it's even hard to maybe think that Hamburg might get up in there as well right now um, because the amount of points that have been dropped by everyone in and around that top six spot um, is is shocking and surprising and wonderful at the same time. And this Nuremberg one was the latest shock because, as I say, you can't explain something like that. Their performances recently, you know, have been have been really solid. And you've been thinking, right, they actually are kind of getting it together at the right time. Um, their aim this season was to show that they had developed and improved um, and could become this solid Zweite Bundesliga side. I would like to think that they can build on this platform, um, but it's a shame that they didn't quite capitalize on the opportunities that were here. And I think this game against Sandhausen may be the big one that, of course, they look back on um, because it's such a freak result. Um, but yeah, hats off to, to Sandhausen because their story has been fantastic. Um, and yeah, there's, you can't really say enough positive things about Sandhausen and the fact that they're the third 
best team in the the Rook Runda, um, and it's 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 a remarkable thing that they've turned it around the way they have. The amazing thing with Sandhausen is they do something like this, not frequently, but they are are typically slow starters, and then they somehow find a way. They've got this incredible um, character. I don't want to use the men- the word mentality because that may send off the Dortmund fans, uh, as as is very possible. But um, just an incredible mindset that they have is that it, they never seem to panic in situations. Ali Schwartz, who he he doesn't play beautiful football. That's not what he's there for. He's there to get results, stabilize the defense, and march up the table, which is what Zanhausen have done. And you've got that with the likes. We've mentioned this throughout the season. Tommy Treble coming in in the winter. Dario Dumic. You know, Patrick Drewes, who they, they brought in the summer from, from Valfour Borkham, has been magnificent. And he was spectacular in this game. Saved a penalty of, of, of Enrico Valentini, which helped really set the stage for Zanhausen to put them away. And they did. And, and Eva, I guess we should continue with Zanhausen because... The importance for them is is now they've got such a significant gap that they can take a deep breath and look forward to the following season and maybe have a little bit more stability because the one thing we mentioned at the start of the season was they'd had a lot of change, a lot of new players coming into the system. Now they can definitely build on this and, and maybe, maybe move uh, further away from the relegation zone next season. Yeah, and I mean, I have to keep thinking back to that one um, Xavier Zuko interview, I think at the beginning of the year, where he, like, after you could see that they were slowly turning this around because uh, in the first games under Alois Schwarz, you didn't really have the feeling everything where anything was changing, especially uh, the defensive stability. But throughout the year, uh, this new year, they really managed to come together. And Suku said at some stage, um, we, we we got, like, like everyone got involved, everyone got together, we integrated new players, which is quite funny because he's one of that, those new players at the beginning of the season. But because Sandhausen actually did not only have one huge, huge uh, no, new build-up this season, but actually two, because a lot changed in, in the winter transfer window as well. Uh, it's actually amazing how they managed to do that. And um, with like with so many changes and you, you really have the feeling um, you don't really need every single player to overperform. You just need to work them to, uh, together. And I think they really managed to do so. And um yeah, every game someone else steps up. Um, Bob, really, if what you said about Patrick Trevis, um, it got me thinking about the importance of goalkeepers, especially for for smaller teams who are fighting um, relegation, no matter what league. If you compare it to, for example, Manuel Riemann for for Bochum this year, Stefan Ortega last year for Bielefeld, um, this really can be a very important factor because. Um, it starts in the defense, and this was a huge problem for Sandhausen throughout the season, the start of the season. And uh, in 2022, they, um, I think they surprised a lot of people. And how they, I mean, at this stage, you were just convinced this game is going to end 1-1, and it would have been still a very good result for Sandhausen. But them winning this game um, with such an easy thing like set pieces, I mean. If you'd ask Zandhausen fans before that game, um, 
what should we give you that you win this game? They would say, set pieces. We have our Karachi, it's going to work. And Nuremberg was like, here are a thousand set pieces, do your thing. Um, and even though executing one after one after this, um, yeah, it was... Um, it was very good. And I mean, you have to say, in my opinion, that penalty was an absolute joke. Um, so, yeah, Trevor saving that was maybe karma. I don't know. Um, for me, if you see what penalties are given in the Bundesliga, in the Zweite Liga, and which aren't, uh, this one was one that should have been in. Do not give that. Um, but yeah, very impressive. And I mean, uh, Sandhausen keeps in one way this is what we keep saying about the league always expect the unexpected and um Sandhausen is probably one of those teams although they're flying under the radar uh but yeah they they manage to to do everything right i mean you hope for them they don't have that big new um yeah break in 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 summer now um, and you probably have to see how it, how long is it goes with Alio Schwarz this year, but until now it works, and they yeah they they know what to do for for staying in the league. Yeah, it will be interesting to see the direction they take for Nuremberg. It is a step in the right direction, but I can't help but feeling they will want a little bit more. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we mentioned Hamburg. Let's talk about them. Uh, they took on Jan Regensburg on the weekend. We'll talk about them in just a moment. A team that might be making a late, and I mean a late push, for at least the playoff is Hamburg. Now, usually around this time of the year, they would have been in the top three, lost a bunch of games, and would have become the butt of the joke when they finished fourth at the end of the season, as they've done the previous three campaigns in the Spider Bundesliga. But this is different. They're coming from the long run-up. Arguably, this is their um, Steve Bradbury moment, if you know that reference. go look. If you don't, go look it up. Uh, Winter Olympics 2002. Uh, they are coming from a long way back, hoping that they may find themselves in the top three. But they needed to get past Jan Regensburg uh, on match day 31. And they started very, very well. And the opening goal was a net buster and a ball breaker. Miro Mulheim, who's been very good this season at left back with Tim uh, Tim Leibold out with injury. He scored a net busting goal. His first goal of the season. Regensburg started much better in the second half. And Kalu Bukalfa got Regensburg back on level terms. It was a bit of a seesawing affair. But Hamburg were able to reascend to the lead on 66 minutes when Antti Suhain got his second goal of the campaign. But it almost seemed fitting that Hamburg would collapse towards the end of this game when they gave away a pretty soft penalty. Uh, Andreas Albers scoring his eighth goal on 88 minutes. And from there, you would think 2-2 seems logical. But of course, logic is defied in the Spider Bundesliga because Hamburg would score twice in the 90th minute. Joshua Wagnermann and then a penalty scored by David Kinsombi on 93 minutes was enough to see Hamburg and Tim Walter's side be on the fringe. Where are they now? They are only three points behind Darmstadt with three games to go. And we mentioned this earlier in the season. Their schedule towards the end gets a little bit more winnable comparative to those around them. They don't face a single side that is in the top half. So, James, let's talk about Hamburg. 
We know they've had a big season. They had the massive cup run, which came to an abrupt end in the semi-final to Etsy Freiburg. They are somehow still in the mix, even though it is a bit of a long shot, being three points away from the playoff with three games to go. But we, unlike Mike Tomlin, who would say, never say never, but never, you can't really say never with Hamburg because... They've shown that they can get it done with a variety of different players. You look, you'd expect Robert Glatzel to be on the score sheet in a, in a game like this, and they found they found the avenue of goal with different players. Yeah, that's a really important point actually. That they had to save themselves again. It's not the first time this season, but for one of the rare occasions, it wasn't actually Robert Glatzel doing the saving. Um, and I think that was important. I mean, this was this was a brilliant game of football, um, an absolute barnstormer back and forth, and it kind of gives you everything you want. But I mean, poor old Hamburg fans. The <laughs> the heart rate monitors must be must be working overtime right now. Um, and it's it's strange because as you say, compared to other seasons where they've looked like one of the front runners and then they've kind of fallen short at the last hurdle, they almost weren't really seen as front runners. They climbed up into second a couple of match days back, but then they went on that run of form of one win from uh, seven, wasn't it? Mm. And you thought, right, okay, here's the Hamburg story again. A glimmer of hope is now kind of dwindled. And then you look at the last five games, and you go, well, they're, they're winnable. And if they win all five, well, maybe it's possible. And it's you know the door is open because there are lots of these head-to-heads going on in like the top four and the top five so they can capitalize on teams above them dropping points and then you watch a game like this and you go through this array of emotions thinking Hamburg aren't going to do it they are going to do it they aren't going to do it and I'm, I'm getting to the point now where the being the fan of irony that I am I almost want them to get into the top three in the season that it makes the least sense for them to do it um it just really would be quite a, a tale um and really speak to the 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 spellbinding nature of this season and the fact that we all have enjoyed how back and forth it's been and we've all kind of made jokes about the fact that no team really seems to want to win it or get promoted right now based on uh, some performances in their form but Hamburg they're just they're just a club that they can't do things easily and I think the game against Jans Regenberg has shown it I think their season is showing it and yet they are still in with this chance because Ingolstadt Hanover Hansa Rostock as their last three games those are three winnable matches. And as I say, if they do win all three, then everything is possible. If they put another nine points on the board, that would be a, you know, enough in most seasons to clinch at least a top three finish. Um, and it really would be quite a tale if they managed to do it. Um, if if Tim Valter pulls it off, having having looked like they had been down and out and kind of talking about the fact that teams had written them off or other teams, you know, other players had written them off. And then to come back and do it in this way, it would be quite a statement. I will say this now, though, if they get into third, I'm not overly convinced that that then necessarily leads to promotion. Um, I think their best bet would be an automatic spot. And I do think that at the very least is out of reach. I do tend to agree. It is going to be a fascinating watch because I, I, we, we've spoken about it. And I know we've, speak, we've spoken to a few people about how the conference on uh, match day 34 is going to be this just eyes glued on literally every game possible to see you know what the situation is going to be and Hamburg are going to put themselves in that situation at Hansa Rostock where you know Rostock are, are a very tricky opponent to get past they can score goals at will um, but Hamburg have shown they can find different avenues they've had they had some really good goalkeeping in this game Daniel Hoyer Fernandez has been outstanding for them all season um, considering he was not the number one last season with uh, Sven Ulreich and He's had to compete with the likes of Julian Polersbeck and 
he's had just a, he was magnificent in this game and a good reason why Hamburg were not allowed to go off the boil a bit. And you look at Jan Regensburg as a whole, we know their whole story about the start of the season. They were fantastic and then it kind of petered out. But they just... The individual errors that this team makes and have made over the last few seasons under Mercer Salenbegovic is you could put it in a scrapbook and just burn it on fire. Because they this team seems to make some of the most egregiously bad mistakes or comedic mistakes. And you can't explain it to a person without chuckling or being upset about how the hell that happened. And they've done this on a number of occasions this season. They did it again. Um, they're just trying to get to the end of the season, Regensburg. They they mentioned, Mercer Selenberger, which a couple of weeks ago mentioned, you know, wasn't even thinking about the table. It was all about just getting to safety. Um, they've had a very miserable 2022. Um, they are a team that des- des- desperately will need reinforcements and just a bit more stability because the, those who were kicking kicking goals and really dominating at the start of the season have completely fallen off a clip a cliff excuse me very much like their season let's move to the Spiel arena in Dusseldorf Fortuna took on Dinamo Dresden this was a massive massive game for Dinamo because Dinamo still the only team yet to win in 2022 in the Bundesliga was hoping to break this trend but also to increase the margin to the teams below them in Erzgebirge Auer in Ingolstadt Dusseldorf could secure safety if they were to win. And all indications throughout this game was that they were going to win when Shinta Applecap and Jordi Device scored within the space of five minutes. And it wasn't as if they didn't have more chances. Reverend Hennings had a bunch of chances, um, but failed to convert. And as we know with this league, failure to convert your chances, like in any football league, but this one in particular has a, a real knack for it, if you fail to score, the other team will. And Paul Ville, who has been more noted of this podcast in recent weeks, uh, he got Dresden to 2-1. And for me, 2-0 is the most nervous lead in in sport, in soccer, in football, purely because if you concede, the momentum is completely on the, the, the opposing foot. And Dresden capitalized on that when Ransford Yeboah, Konigsdorfer, who has missed a bit of time through to injury. He came off the bench and he scored his fifth goal of the campaign. And Dinamo salvaged a point in a game that they probably shouldn't have got one either. We know it's been a tough 2022 for Dinamo. The inability to win games. They were second best for the almost the entirety of the 90 minutes. But a we look at character and their the human element of it. That is a a morally big result for them, considering that they really had no right to get one. I think um, I looked through the the Dresden people in my Twitter timeline, um, and what they all had in common were like they happy they got a point, but on the other hand, what could have been if they didn't start playing football after fifty minutes only? And this is essentially what happened in this game. I mean. Uh, Dresden was in the game. They had the majority of possession. Fortuna really focused on counter-attacks um, and did that very well, especially with Ioannara and Apokamp with the first goal. I mean, the second goal, um, it's a bit unlucky, you guys say. Um, and I mean, this this really was the wake-up call was that 
nearly 3-0 by Hennings in the second half. And only after that, you have the feeling, okay, now we see Dynamo. And I think this is um, there was a lot of good football in this. This The, the pass by Weirauch to Königsdorfer um, was a beauty, was very, very well timed. And you might wonder what could have been if they started off better in the in the first half if they actually put something on the table on, in the first half because obviously this means Ingolstadt is relegated but what they fail to do is actually getting three points put pressure on Zantals and on Hanover especially Hanover and um, the thing is there are only three games left and you don't really have the feeling they start they're going to start winning games now um, with with Königsdorfer, I'm pretty sure we will at least see him no matter where Dresden plays in this uh, in the Zweite Bundesliga next year. Um, I think a majority of the clubs in the Zweite Bundesliga will look for something like him. I might even say that, for example, Kreuter Fürth, who will have a lot of players leaving the club after they get after the relegation, a lot of. Uh, contracts that are running out might be one of the teams that are, is looking forward to sign p- players like him. Um, but yeah, I mean, for Dresden, it's just really, really difficult because as I said, they were, as you said as well, they haven't won in 2022 at all. And like, with the games they have coming up against Regensburg, Karlsruhe and Auer, so not very difficult games. I mean, we've seen, we talk about Karlsruhe next, but the problem is they had a lot of not really difficult games or in, in games where they you don't really expect them to do something. And the last game they won was against our <laughs> in December 2021. So they need wins. Obviously, for, for the morals, it's really good that they turned this game at least around a pitch but um, they could have lost it in the end as well Uh, just sort of woke up after the equaliser again and then not sure how it would have went but yeah I'm I'm not completely sure about that game because as mentioned at that stage of the season more or less falling asleep for 50 minutes it's, it's not a good look no, it certainly isn't, especially given their current predicament, which is trying to obviously avoid direct relegation, which it seems they will probably do so, but also trying to get out of having to play a two-leg playoff against a, uh, a Dritzliga side that typically, in that those particular fixtures, gives a very good account for themselves. So you, you really want to... You don't want to have to go through that situation. And... Yeah, it's just fascinating how how defensively they were under immense pressure for the majority of the game. And they were very fortunate not to concede more than twice. I think this more than anything, and I know Daniel Toon would have been rather frustrated at the end of the game, just they could have easily put three, four, even five past Dinamo. They played some great football. They counter-attacked very well. They had great transitional play. Um, Apple Camp, who's... You know, he missed a good portion of the first part of the season with, with COVID and, and health and safety protocols. You can see he is thriving under Daniel Tiyun and and certainly a team that, you know, if we're forward thinking, someone that I would once again be willing to put in 
the 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 um the promotion talk as uh, early as that may seem but they seem to have a good balance and we know the qualities of Daniel Tiyun. Um but just yeah a really frustrating performance for them Dinamo you know were much better in the second half half as Eva said nine of their 10 shots on goal came in that second half so they did wake up and I think Konigsdorfer in particular He's someone who was attributed to that. I think someone Hamburg in particular would actually be interested in. But uh, there's a passing comment. Uh, let's move on to our final Group 2 game. It's Karlsruhe and Ingolstadt. As Eva mentioned, Ingolstadt needed to get a result to survive. They did not. They drew to all. That means they are relegated. Their one uh, season stint after beating Osnabrück in the playoffs comes to an end. Uh, and they were in a good position, though, to make a result happen. When... Uh, Philip Abiel was fouled in the area. Patrick Schmidt took the penalty on 24 minutes and scored. He's got four goals for the season. And then Bill Beer gave Ingolstadt the perfect start to the second half. 2-0 up, away from home, putting the pressure on Dinamo and keeping themselves in the mix, maybe, to survive. But Karlsruhe at home very much woke up. Fabian Schleusner and then Philip Hoffman. Hoffman, of course, who is going to be playing for Borchum next season. He got his 18th of the campaign, and it was a 2-2 draw in the end. But that's not to say that Karlsruhe didn't have their chances. They outshot Ingolstadt 18-3 in the second half, um, and they, they easily could have won this game. Uh, James, we know that this Karlsruhe team has been very up and down this season. We know Hoffman is going to be a big subtraction for them uh, next season, but uh, I want to focus on Christian Eichner a bit because he's a young manager that's gaining a little bit of attention. Uh, teams that might be looking for a new option or a younger uh, talking point, uh, he might be someone that would come into conversations. And what he did in the second half of this game was really was really good in the way he changed the the way that Karlsruhe played their football. And, and I'm sure we've seen this throughout the campaign. Um, you know, he's a quality manager that will garner a lot of attention with a pretty good squad. It has to be said. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's why he was he's being linked and I think is still being linked with the potential Schalke job if they don't stick with Bushkins, and which I think by all accounts they're not going to, um, depending on how the rest of this season progresses. But th- there is a reason for that. He has impressed with this Karlsruhe side. I think it's a bit of a shame their performances over the last couple of weeks, I think, have taken a hit because he made a... Uh, a very smart and human decision in letting um, Marius Gersbeck, the number one goalkeeper, go uh, under the knife for a hand operation that they've been putting off for a while. And that was because he felt they had 39 points at that point. You know, they, they felt safe and they could afford to do that. And they put the human element first, which is great. Unfortunately, I do think it sent a bit of a message to the rest of the team of kind of like, oh, season's over. We've done what we came to achieve. And it really took their pride being wounded here against Ingolstadt to bring the best out of them again. I do. Uh, I think you're right. The the tactical switch that Eichner made as well in the uh, over the course of the game was was very important and is a testament uh, to what he is capable of. I also like him because he seems to be very, you know, relatively realistic in all of this. Um, there was a quote that stood out for me that I used in commentary about um, the fact that he feels his side uh, are capable of getting the upset here or there, but they just can't be consistent enough to, to really cause any problems near the top of the table. But what they've done this season, still impressive given the means uh, that they have at their disposal. And yeah, okay, disappointing two-all draw against Ingolstadt, disappointing couple of results recently uh, when you consider the fact that we just talked about Dinamo Dresden, their last win being against Auer back in December, the only win uh, that Karlsruhe have had in their last eight games has come against Erzgebirge Auer as well. I mean, that's a, a running trend for many 
many aside. Um, but I, I, I like what Christian Eichen has done. Um, I think the misstep with the Gersbeck thing, I can completely forgive because I like it when a, a head coach puts the human element over the professional and the sporting element. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, we, we will likely will see him at a bigger club. Um, but his connection with Karlsruhe is brilliant as well, it has to be said. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell that the, the playing group very much gets around him. They understand it. And I think I think that's a good... To have a manager who has realistic expectations of where the season is, and, and they would have said that at the start of the season, that, prom, that you know, avoid relegation at all costs and, you know, be competitive. And they've done that for the majority of the season. They've obviously had... Um, the Vild Park's being rebuilt still, and that, that's, uh, that's, that, that stadium will eventually get fully build at some stage but that can't you know they could easily fit for more people into the into the ground and they have a very passionate support down there um but i do and they, gr- and they had that that wonderful cup run as well we shouldn't yeah. forget um which you know came to came to an end in in heartbreaking circumstances for them against hamburg but that was a wonderful element of their season as well this season absolutely 100 percent, and like it's quite fascinating because we've seen a bunch of spider bundesliga clubs one we're going to talk about in group three who have made good strides in the Pokal um, and made a lot of people believe that it is possible that a team, whether it's, you know, a lower Bundesliga side or a Schweizer Bundesliga side or even a Drisseliga side or even, um, you know, obviously when Zabrucken had that cup run and they were in, I think, the fourth tier at that time, you know, that you can actually believe in those knockout tournaments that anything, anybody can beat anybody on any given day under any any circumstances so they have been they've had a good season in regards to you know going deeper in the cup um and i think they are probably where we expected them to be mid table maybe top of the bottom six um they've had a solid season and i, I think you know they've just resigned daniel Gordon for another season um so you know he's, he's an influential leader within that dressing room so they'll be happy with that for ingolstadt um well it hasn't been a great year. I know Rudy Garim has improved their stability as a football club um, in terms of the dressing room and as a team. But a lot of missteps along the way have led to a, what eventually became a rather predictable relegation season for them. And very similar to what they had last time, they were in the side of Bundesliga. Multiple different managers, lots of personnel changes in terms of players and, and what's happening in the backroom staff and that instability becomes an issue, and, and we've seen it over the last few years with the likes of Würzburger kickers. Um, the constant changing of ideas and people coming in really can unsettle a team, and for Ingolstadt, they seem to be in a bit of strife early on, and bad managerial decisions like Andre Schubert's um, cost them in the end. But also, uh, I think the assessment of where they were at the start of the season was probably a bit too high from 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 myself in particular. So, um, yeah, they're, their final three games, you know, they got Hamburg, Hanter, and Hanover, the three H's. Um, no, they're not versing Triple H, but, um, yeah, it, for them, it's about pride. And, and for a lot of guys in that in that team, maybe playing for a future elsewhere in, in the Spider Bundesliga. Guys like Robert Jendrush will be someone that people might keep an eye on. A good, a good young goalkeeper who's really cut his teeth to be the number one at Ingolstadt ahead of the likes of Fabian Buntic and the, and the injured Dejan Stojanovic. So it will be interesting to see what Ingolstadt looks like next season and if they can bounce right back up. We shall see. Let's take our final break. And on the other side, we'll talk about that other team that is in the bottom three, Erzgebirge Auer, as they hosted Hansa Rostock. 
Erzgebirge Hour are hanging on by a thread. They know that if results don't pick up, and they will need a lot of help, they will be in the Drisseliga alongside Ingolstadt. They took on a Hansa Rostock side who had been in some pretty good form recently, though that has slowed up just a little bit. Could Auer get a result? Well, it started well for them, with a bit of a bit of fortune, and Lucas Froda putting the ball into his own net. But uh, as has been accustomed with Auer this season, Leeds, we don't do them very often, and uh, they conceded just on 25 minutes, through a penalty after Hanno Behrens was fouled, no complaints about the penalty whatsoever. And it was Jean Verhoek, who has extended his contract. He'll be staying with Hansa for another season. He put in his 17th goal of the season. Just before halftime, Dmitry Nazarov, the Azerbaijan international, got himself on the score sheet with a wonderful goal. Marcus Kolka got a good pour on it, but it wasn't enough as the ball trickled into the back of the net. That's four for Nazarov this season. Hanno Behrens, who's been a pretty good player for Hansa Rostock this season since joining from Nuremberg at the start of the campaign, he also got his hands on the scoring sheet, uh, his fifth of the campaign on 52 minutes, and the scores were shared at two apiece. As there we go. The people in the background, very happy with that result. Um, excuse the beeping. Um, so, Eva, we know the situation with Erzgebirge Hour is rather precious, and we even believe that... It seems ominous in what will be Pavel Deutschev's last season as a head coach, as he will fulfill his role as the sporting director as of next season. It is a long way home for them to get a result. They know if they lose at Darmstadt on the weekend, it is all but over. What can they look forward to towards the end of this season? You know, knowing that they could also be the spoiler to a number of teams, Bremen and Dresden afterwards, but we'll we'll get to that in a moment as I circle around. Um, it's a bad, it's it's a rough result for our. And as we saw with all the teams that um, were in the bottom three, they all played two two draws, and they all found different ways to either get a point or lose a point. In this case, holding to a lead twice in this game and failing to convert that into a win. Yeah, well, I think it was a as a was a weird game from the beginning on. I mean, um, obviously, a free kick by Masakwem. He was one mm-hmm. of the. Best players for our for me in this game um, was involved in both goals uh, for our. Um, I mean, our was better in the beginning, but actually both teams were lacking any sort of offensive actions, in my opinion. And um, if you then, I mean, we have seen it throughout the season that our makes stupid, stupid offensive mistakes. Kakutelu in this one hasn't really has a good season so far. And um, well, actually, with that penalty, it was like double the amount of stupid because, first of all, obviously the penalty, but then this penalty really created a momentum for for Rostock, um, who was then really in in the spotlight. It was Clevin, who once again, um, in my opinion, was one of the best hour players on the pitch. Um, I mean, and and then. Obviously, the the second goal due to a uh, very good pressing by Messequem, mistake by Behrens, who then, um, yeah, could equalise that mistake. But what I really want to talk about, I mean, first of all, everyone knows that Malone is famous for his throw-ins. They're 
kind of set pieces. And what we have seen throughout the season with our is that they have huge, huge problems with inbox defending, especially, and this is the thing, in numerical advantages situations. And this is, in my opinion, one of the reasons why going to relegated because this was a problem but this was also a problem um, throughout the season when Shvileski was fired under Dodgev as well and I mean if you look at that 2-2 they're full people around Behrens and nobody knows who is going to actually go forward intercepting that ball and we have seen that a lot of times either if it's from set pieces or just from open play um, our is not good in inbox defending, no ma- especially if they're in a, numeric- a numerical advantage. I think this is a very worrying point, and they like the thing is that that they didn't have a solution for this all season. And if you normally the teams get relegated to create problem or where you can see the most obvious problems at the beginning of the season and there are teams that can fix that if we talk about Sandhausen they had defensive problems they fixed that and and our didn't have that and I think it, it's really time that they get a new coach as well because I don't really see I think whatever they have now um with Hensel as well it's not really working that whole that Hansel was head coach, then Dorchev and Hansel were head coaches. Now Dorchev is head coach, um, and Hansel still plays a role in 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 the club. I think it's for, for the players. It's very very difficult as well because the the people essentially stay the same. The hierarchy changes. Don't think that's very easy to come clean with. So whoever is going to be in charge next season. I'm not sure, uh, but he has a hell of a task. Um, and I mean, I think it was said before in this podcast, don't really see our getting back to the to the Zweite Liga after one year in the Dritte Liga. I think too much is broken in this club. I think still that Leonard is one of the biggest problems our has um, because in my opinion, he... he Obviously, money-wise, he does good for the club, but I think he's so opinionated that it's very, very difficult um, to actually develop something now. It will be interesting to see what they do next season. The favourite, and they they were kind of they're trying to hide um, in terms of their potential options is Timo Rost, who is currently the manager at Bayreuth in the Regionalliga. Uh, he's leading Bayreuth to what it looks like. Uh, the Dritte Liga, they are top of the Regional Liga Bayern by eight points uh, to FT Bayern Zwei. So that will be an interesting development if they do go with that. Uh, for Rostock, I think that's the big talking point for me is with Rostock, a team that we were very uncertain would even survive the season. We know that Jens Hartl with um, Magdeborg, who will be back in the Zweite Bundesliga next season with Christian Tietz, uh, that didn't go particularly well and he was removed from his position um, midway through the campaign and eventually Magdeburg were relegated. So a big growth for him on a personal development side of things for Jens Hartl to see out a, a full season in the Zweite Bundesliga, but lead a Hansa team that played some pretty good football um, throughout the season. And, you know, they, they will need to 
obviously bolster the squad, maybe get a little bit younger. Um, but they, yeah, 39 points, nine points clear with, with three games to go. They are pretty much certain to avoid the playoffs. So an impressive season for Hansa, uh, but for our, uh, it's a uh, win or bust for them. Uh, with the remainder of the season. Now, let's move to the Bensler Arena, or which will be the home deluxe arena next season. So we'll, we'll try and weave that through uh, for next season. Uh, Paderborn took on Hanover. Hanover uh, putting themselves in a really, really uncomfortable situation where they are having to look over their shoulder a little bit uh, with Dinamo picking up a point on the weekend. They were slacked. Three goals to nil at the hands of Paderborn. Philip Clement, Florent Moslier, who was formerly of Hanover at the start of the season, was very happy to score. And Kelvin Aforo, who hasn't played a lot this season, but Aforo getting on the score sheet. Big win for Paderborn is that it puts them into seventh place uh, and they're three wins in their last four uh, under uh, with um, just a few games to go. So they are running into a little bit of form heading into next season. Hanover, well... It hasn't been great. Their last month has been pretty, pretty ordinary. Uh, one win in their last five. And the talk of the town is whether Christoph Dubrovsky will, in fact, be here. We've said uh, quite a bit on this podcast that it would be unlikely. Um, but um, it seems like we may have a suitor. So let's talk about Hanover first, James. Um, it's been a very trying campaign for them. This was probably typified by their very meek performance and their error-ridden, error-riddled uh, game on the weekend that the couple of the goals they conceded were extraordinarily avoidable it's been a rough season for them without having really any continuity uh, and that's something that will definitely be addressed coming into next season yeah absolutely I mean this was a, a club that if we're being honest you look at their form and you say if you don't sell Marvin Duch and you add his 18 goals to their campaign then it looks very different I mean they're the lowest scoring side in the league and that was the interesting thing sorry outside of Ingolstadt of course um and that was the interesting thing for me the first time I came across Hanover and I really paid attention to them this season if I'm being really honest was uh the cup game against Borussia Mönchengladbach which they won 3-0 in an impressive fashion and it again you know the cup makes its own rules so the form books really did get thrown out the window there where Hanover is this low scoring side somehow scored three goals against a Bundesliga team that had knocked Bayern out in the previous round I then uh, a couple of weeks later commentated the game against St. Pauli, which was also a 3-0 win. And I thought, hold on a second. Well, maybe, you know, it is just a classic case of team have had a good, a bad start to the season. They've changed head coach and now they're maybe turning it around a little bit, not to spring themselves up into the promotion contention or anything, but at least not to be embroiled in the relegation battle. And the problem is ever since then, I mean, the consistency just hasn't been there. The goals haven't been there for them. The performances just haven't been there for them. And this one against Paderborn, yeah, uh, is, is a tough one to take. And it may end up being uh, one of uh, the final nails in Dabrowski's coffin because uh, as much as he had this positive impact at the beginning, it just hasn't sustained. And the question then, I guess, you face as a club like Hanover is, do you get rid of Dabrowski and bring in more instability, like instability, or do you try and stick it out with him? The problem is what we're seeing from Hanover right now as, as, as a team it doesn't suggest that he is a very good long-term uh, solution to their head coaching problem. So I think it's, it's a bit of a shame uh, that the season has played out the way it has played out for them. But I would hope at least that they learn 
from the mistakes that have been made. Um, and that they are, let's be honest, they're also already making moves for next season that suggest uh, that they're taking their situation right now very seriously. And the good news for them is that Dinamo Dresden just can't win right now. And if that was even a, a possibility, then maybe they'd be even more nervous. Mm. I, I, I would think this six point gap should ultimately be enough to get them over the line. It should, but as we know, the Spider Bundesliga has its own rule book. Um, Very true. As James mentioned, they are making moves. Fabian Kunzer, who is currently with Armenia Bielefeld, he will join Hanover on a three-year deal. A free transfer. I hate you so much. <laughs> you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. We have to be factual. We have to share the news and this happened. But we should also talk about how that there is increasing noise about Stefan Lytle becoming the new head coach of Hanover and bringing his favourite buddy, Harvard Nielsen, because we know they've been bereft of goals this season, as someone who could lead the line for them. What an interesting development that would be. Uh, of course, Lytle was coaching the Greuther side that has just been relegated after their defeat to Bayer Leverkusen, but their relegation seems pretty evident very early in the season. So that seems like a very interesting move. They want a bigger name or someone with... I guess, credentials of someone who's led a team to promotion. And Lida would certainly be a good, interesting, and of course, a young manager who has done it before. For Paderborn, another side getting to the end of the season. Uh, it's all about consolidation for them. But uh, they'll be more than happy to, to move into the uh, the top half of the table. Um, and their form recently under Lucas Krasniok has been a lot better. Um, and they'll take that uh, with consideration for next season. And finally, let's make a move to the Holstein Stadion. It was Kiel. It was Heidenheim. Um, this was an interesting game because these are two sides who have been in the relegation playoff previously. Um, and the team, you know, Kiel have had a lot of upheaval. It's been a very unstable season for them. Heidenheim, on the other hand, have been sneaky good, but have also become predictably poor away from home. They get a point in this game. It's a one-all draw. Um, Simon Lorenz opened the scoring on 56 minutes when Lewis Holtby's cross found Lorenz and he put the ball into the back of the net. And then Tim Klein needs on 70 minutes, got his 10th goal of the campaign. Um, and it was enough for Heidenheim to get a result here. Um, yeah, Eva, this is a, an interesting fixture. We did see Heidenheim were able to I essentially wake up after a pretty poor start to this game. Um, they did have a goal disallowed for a pretty blatant foul on Ioannis Gelios. Um, but uh, yeah, it's fair to say both these sides are just looking forward to the to next season because it was a it was a tricky old affair and, and it definitely seemed as if the goals were very much hard work. I think actually uh, it was not taken away because of foul on Gelios, but because it was offside before mm. that even. So the, the foul didn't even matter. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good game. I mean, um, the first half was mainly because Kiel didn't use their chances. Heidenheim didn't really have any. Uh, in general, it was a typical game from, from Heidenheim away from home. Um, I think then the, the I think that goal by Kiel actually shows what Kiel could do and what I'm looking forward to if Rapp has more, more time. Uh, in summer and maybe one or two like what they basically need is um, someone up front um, a, like a classical striker in my opinion what they had with um, uh, with Yanni Serra the, the year before um, I mean but but 
otherwise it was a good execution with Mühling, Reza, Holpi and Lorenz. I really like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kiel, Kiel had chances afterwards, but um, yeah, one good scene by Heidenheim and a mistake by by, by Gilles was then enough to to give Heidenheim a point. And I mean, maybe in the end it's okay, but in general, yeah, actually it was a horrible game. I think um, fair to say it was one of those games where you say, okay, clearly you have two teams who don't really care what has happened next. Um, I mean, for for Kiel, they have more interesting um, opponents in the upcoming weeks with Bremen, Nuremberg and Sandhausen, so they can really change it up there for for Heidenheim. I do think, I don't hope it will happen, but I do think we will see a lot of those games now with them, with Düsseldorf, Regensburg and Karlsruhe. So I, I don't really, like, if you were choosing a game to watch, just recommend at this stage don't choose one with Heidenheim in it I don't really expect them to I know put something on the table for for those three matches um but yeah I mean especially for Q they haven't they're not completely um yeah out of the relegation better yet but I think if you compare them to to the other teams you can say um after this season they had this is probably the best thing they could have expected um it's going to be as mentioned important what to do in summer um where to go what signings will be made i think in midfield there they have good good people but i think um you know, this whole i know experiment jan fita up has failed at least in my opinion um, they need someone else up front, and it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to do. I think with Kiel, they were a classic case of we made the playoff if we just bolster the squad with a bit of experience and some interesting young players, we could run it back. Um, but unfortunately for them, it became apparent very early that that wasn't going to be the case. Then, of course, Oli Werner left, um, and they kind of were stuck with a really weird construct of a squad that's. You know, they had some players that would have been great five five years ago, and then they had some players who um, just were solid, but not really enough to get them to where they wanted to be. And you know, this season's been interesting with Marcel Rapp coming in, and he wants them to play a different style of football, but they don't really have the squad to do so. Um, so certainly, something that we will definitely look into next season is is what their squad looks like and how they will be. Um, able to implement his structure, I would suspect they will get a bit younger than what they are currently constructed um, in terms of their squad. Uh, there has been some more news around the Spider Bundesliga, and we'll just quickly touch on that. Um, for Saturday games, as of next season, uh, they will return to the 1pm kickoff time. That's 1pm local time, 12pm in the UK, and a lot, lot earlier in the US. Magdeburg, as we've mentioned, are coming back to the Spider Bundesliga. Their 3-0 win over Zwickau was enough to see Christian Tietz's side get promotion, and they'll probably win the league as well. They've been outclassing everyone this season, and Greutherford, of course, were relegated after the defeat to Bayer Leverkusen. We'll go to a kick tip, of course. Uh, we are entering the final stages of a kick tip, and Lewis is still holding a slender lead. He has 309 points, but there are a mirror of players 
that are chasing. Nerda Haasvall top scored with only 12. It was a very tricky week to get your tips correct. Of course, our podcast recommendation for this week will be Project Football. James, what can you tell us about the new season? Uh, yeah, it's an exciting one. So Project Fußball is a five-part mini-series type podcast uh, where we focus on one overarching topic over the course of five episodes. And for Series 4, we have focused on the ever-evolving and ever-more influential world of Web3 um, and cryptocurrency, NFTs. These things might ring a bell. Um, now, I will say you don't have to be an enthusiast uh, because I'm not to get involved in this series. Please give it a listen because we've tried to play both sides of it where we're catering to people that are in the space, but also to those skeptics that maybe uh, think it's all a bunch of poppycock, which there's enough of them out there and I'm not I'm not fully against them either myself. Um, so that's what we're covering. Um, and so if you give it a listen, we'd be greatly appreciative. There you have it. And of course, you can also check out some of their previous series. I would highly recommend the 50 plus one rule is especially a fantastic five part series that you should get amongst. James, where can our, our lovely listeners find you? I'll be honest, I'm not so active on social media nowadays. Uh, that's changed ever since I've had a daughter. Um, but at JM Thoroughgood on Twitter is probably the best place to find me. Magical. Thanks for coming on, James. It's been an absolute pre- privilege to have you on. We hope to have you on again some stage throughout, if not the end of this season. But of course, next season, you are more than welcome to join us. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, it's been a great, great time. Uh, thanks for the chat. Um, lovely little escape on this Wednesday morning. So thank you very much. And I will definitely be back. Amazing, amazing. Well, that's it for another episode of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. We will, of course, be back next week to discuss all the action from Match Day 32. Until then, have a safe weekend, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>